Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph ben Mergy. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. For all of you who are regular listeners, thank you very much for your patronage. I truly appreciate it. Uh, spread the word. We got to get it out there. It's Podcastville. We don't have multi-million dollar advertising budgets. I blame that on my producer, Mike. Uh, he's not found me several million dollars, and that's rather disappointing. But I can live with it for now. Uh, subscribing is important, and uh, uh, input is always welcome on the Facebook page of Not That Kind of Rabbi. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, here occasionally, do lots of Twitter activity, and that's always nice too. I'm at Ralph Ben Mergy on Twitter, so you can catch me that way as well. Um, pandemic, check in with the pandemic, my friends. Uh, we're at a point here in Ontario, in Canada where they're taking their foot off the gas and they're starting to let people get a little more connected, if you will. Um, it is kind of weird, though. I mean, I was in a, a drugstore yesterday and I had my face mask on and the woman about six feet away from me was wearing one under her mouth because clearly it bothered her. And then another man was wearing it on his mouth but not on his nose. So I don't think we're quite getting it right. And I think we're still trying to push ourselves back to just the old way as much as we possibly can. And that inconvenience is, um, it's so interesting because it, in, a, in a time and in a place where so many people have whatever they want, or so they think, um, we really don't want to be inconvenienced. This has been, to say the least, a huge inconvenience for those who have been marginally affected. Obviously, for those who have been deeply affected, this is a horribly traumatic experience for people. Uh, in this particular part of the world, our elders and the abuse and vulnerability of our elders has become so obvious to so many people. The racial divides have become so obvious. The poor and the rich and how they can survive these changes in, in, in everything has all been laid bare for us. And I keep hoping that this long pause will give us a moment to be able to restart, to rethink, to dematerialize some of our lives, to wonder why we're driving hours on end to go to a place that today we can remotely talk to each other. Right now I'm doing this podcast with my producing partner uh, and um, I'm in Hamilton, uh, Ontario, and he's in uh, Toronto, Ontario. Before, I would drive to his place, and by the time I was finished, I'd be stuck in rush hour traffic coming home. It would take me almost two hours to get home, and I'd be completely fried. So I hope we have some chance to start rethinking these things. And I do notice that more and more people are actually having a chance to reflect, to contemplate. And that's a part of our lives that we rarely really indulge in, uh, especially in, in, in the North American experience. Our spiritual lives are often the last thing we think of. It's a luxury for people. Today, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to leave this continent. I'm going to go to Asia, to South Asia to be exact. And I'm going to go to a place that some people go there just to party. I know a lot of my Israeli friends, when they have a break, they go, I'm going to Goa. Why? Because I can stay up all night and dance and party. Well, there's another thing you can do when you go to Goa. You can go to the Swan Retreat, uh, Yoga Retreat, and you can um, leave the party part behind and indulge in the spirituality of yoga. 
something I want to talk to my next guest about is the material nature of yoga in North America uh, and how for some people we've reduced this to uh, Lululemon pants and, uh, you know, a nice uh, workout. So uh, joining me now is one of the founders of the Swan Yoga Retreat, Shivendra Kumar. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thank you very much. And uh, yes, namaste to all. Whoever is listening. So tell um, people what namaste means in English. Well, namaste is a word of greeting. We, when we exchange greeting, you know, just like hello in many countries or, you know, hi or hello. But namaste has a, a little deeper meaning than that. Although it's just we are exchanging. And when we do namaste, we fold our hands, you know, we fold our hands in front of us. And we say namaste like this to means that I respect you. It's not only like, you know, exchanging words. It's like I'm respecting the person that is you, you know, and right. when we talk about the person, it's not, you know, so it has a very deep meaning, even though it sounds like a normal hello, namaste, and just exchanging greetings, but it itself has a very deep meaning. So let's talk about that deeper meaning, because I've heard people say to me that namaste is basically saying, I salute the God within you. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's not about talking about your body and mind. It goes very deep within you. And we believe in our tradition that, you know, we all are basically part of God. God is in all of us. And when we say Namaste, we bow down to that God that lives within you. And the same God that lives within me and the other person also exchange greetings by saying Namaste. That means he is also reciprocating the same way that I also bow down to the God that lives in you. So we respect each other like we are respecting God. No, mm. it's a very wonderful spiritual way of you know exchanging greetings and respecting, and also is more deeper than that is to understanding that we are not this mortal body. We are not this just body and mind. We are always there. You know, the body changes, but the God and the Atman remains alive forever. You know, the uh, uh, Jewish American uh, yogi uh, Ramdas, yeah. he, he always described it as, this body is merely a spacesuit with your name on it on one mm -hmm. corner. And at one point, you have to just discard the spacesuit and move on to your next iteration. Do you agree with that? See, it's, it's the way it is described in one of our uh, principal texts on spirituality or yoga, that is called Bhagavad Gita. In that, it is uh, described that, you know, the way we change our clothes when it gets old, you know, we get new clothes. The same way the Atman changes the body, but it is always there. It's just a matter of which body it is taking. It's so the, at, the Atman, is, so would, would the equivalent be the soul? No, the, 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 the modern concept of soul or the, uh, the Western concept of soul may be a little different, where you say 
rest in peace for the soul we don't say that the soul never dies it never takes birth actually it is always there neither it takes birth nor it dies you know this has a very a deeper uh, meaning behind that soul is actually the witness to all our actions all our body and mind and intellect everything soul is just a witness a witness yes a hmm. witness of us tell me more about that the atman not the soul the atman the atman tell me more about that how 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 does it function as a witness to understand atman see we have to uh, go a little uh, i i like to talk more about uh, the tradition what is the you know where it comes from and yeah. you know like that so where does it come from so first of all you have to understand all the indian traditional and spiritual knowledge the root is actually the root are the vedas you know so we have this vedas and what are vedas is important the vedas are the most ancient known spiritual text known to the humanity even today you know and the uh, vedas actually are called shrutis shrutis means the knowledge that is heard heard means the great rishis of ancient time rishis means the ancient yogis scientists are called rishis they went into not one rishis many many different rishis many rishis went into deep meditation and got this information got this knowledge and this knowledge was passed on from one rishi to other other rishis or from guru to disciple you know so this all this knowledge of india whatever it is of any religion or yoga or ayurveda or anything the foundation and base are vedas and vedas are four you know vedas are four and in that is very interesting i think you know if you are you are talking about vedas many things will come up like people have a little or less knowledge about indian religion also about yoga also there's a lot of misconception so everything comes from vedas okay and so the vedas talked about god as brahman god i am saying because people think talk about there is some people you know power or energy or consciousness that we call god fine vedas don't call it god vedas call it brahman and the what, same what's brahman, that word what's that word the, the word is brahman 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 b r a h m a n brahman yeah but is brahman the yes the brahman is also one of the uh, we call it caste in india now yes. in modern india now but that is very different that's it this this has this not brahman is brahman so is brahman and brahman so is brahman is very different than the caste that people know that is called brahman you know Yeah, the Brahmin caste is one of the higher castes. Higher caste in India, but yes. that has nothing to do with that Brahm. That Brahman right. Okay. This is different. This is a Veda. Yes. One so of the, the four Brahman, great teachings. Yes. So the Brahman is basically the ultimate and the eternal, pure consciousness, 
we can say and people call it god also so in every one the brahman exists we call it the name as atman that atman is actually uh, the brahman yes there is okay. no difference you know atman. what what i find interesting is that um I we'll go right back to the beginning of the namaste conversation which is to be in a society of people where spirituality is give, is a given it's normal in our culture that's not the case it's here it's compartmentalized here it's not uh, uh, you you just say hello to someone you're you're not you're not reaching into their atman you're just saying hi how are you how's it going yeah um, and in your in your culture <clears throat> a person puts their hands together near their heart and salutes the god within the other person uh what effect does that have on the day-to-day -day life of people because i know india has as many social problems as anywhere else in the world but is there something in that day-to-day -day spirituality that changes the nature of 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 societies as far as you're concerned See, when we say india india is so big you know mm -hmm. geographically so unfortunately or you know uh, if we can't uh, say india as a whole and we can't talk about everybody i just said oh, india some part or somebody represents india you know right so this namaste is there but at the same time besides namaste if you there are many 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 religious and spiritual groups and they have their own you know greetings and words to exchange with each other mostly devoted to certain gods like i in my our gurus culture tradition we call it hari om you know hari om in many other places there is om namah shivaya radhe radhe jai jai i mean har har mahadev So there's Jai different Jai names, Jai. but this, but in Hinduism there's there's the the you know the eight thousand faces of God. So people tend to think of that as oh they believe in a polytheistic religion, but it, it, they're just different faces of what God can manifest itself as. Is that right? Yes, I like I explained to you, but but before let uh, talking about Namaste, so. see of course it makes a lot of difference when you exchange the greetings with each other so that if you compare uh, the rural india still people are you know very much connected person to person human to human you know right and right. They, when they talk like this you know when they exchange greetings they still mean it right. they still you know go deeper by saying that you just don't say just because of saying or some you know it's a tradition to say no whatever they say most of the time they definitely mean it you know go deeper right but in, the hundreds in, of people getting on a train in mumbai to go to work they're they're just packed oh, into a train and going to work of course not they yeah, are already yeah. running late for the office they have different yeah. worries and tension in mind you know <laughs> so, so when you get see when, when you get north americans coming to your to the swan retreat center what 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 shape are we in when we show up usually people who've never been there before what what are they doing what are they looking for what do you need to do with them well 
the people who come to swan i most of the people are really very nice and wonderful people actually uh, the only thing is that we they come with very limited information about our uh, culture about our uh, when yoga or even ayurveda and all that but they come most of them come with very open mind and they are open to you know receive what we have to offer although of course they when they are here and they when the time when they go back there's a huge difference uh, you know about the information about, you know, about indian tradition and yoga and other aspect of life right so they are because you know most of them they are just stuck to the physical aspect of uh, yoga right like it's a workout yes so we call it like gym yoga and yoga has totally totally uh, different uh, spiritual aspect and you know aim even aim is very different people do not realize that yoga was not really meant for your physical body the benefits that the physical body receives of course you can get the same benefit if you are running jogging cycling swimming no you can't say that you don't get such benefits so definitely you get benefits uh, by performing the physical aspect of yoga that is called asana so but still is the physical benefits are the by products it is not the aim of yoga hmm. yoga is more about your mind control yoga talks about mind and physical aspect is just the small the first step to reach there so the contemplation the meditation those are the root practices of of yoga yoga and the philosophies are dispensed in the learning after the mind is quieted a bit is that right yeah actually see yoga the the whole concept of yoga was the aim of yoga is to have a spiritual awareness if you ask me what is the aim of yoga yeah so very precisely i can say that to have a spiritual awareness about life you know how to live life and how to live your life without having any kind of you know stress or any problems you know and lead a very uh, a life full of harmony in in complete harmony within your body mind emotions even so- socially even with nature you know it trying wow. to wow. cover all aspect of it that's you know? a lot Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, if, if I showed up with my little suitcase and thought, you know, wait till they see my downward dog, uh that'd be a hell of a tr- <laughs> a, a a a path to have to to embark on. You how do you, you know, there's the old saying, how do you eat an elephant and it's one bite at a time. So let's assume that where you want people to get to is an elephant. what are the steps that you help people go through to to kind of detoxify their ideas about what yoga is and bring them into a healthier state of harmony how do you do it well uh, 
to begin with the and the first time when they arrive you know the, whenever i go and talk about this to people who are you know having this little information about yoga the physical aspect so i start with a story that i would like to share it's a very small story but uh, you know so i it's a story that is very popular in uh, indian tradition and also in buddhism it's about a king and his four wives so a king he had four wives and he loved his four wives the most he would always buy you know like expensive gifts and he would really take very good care of his four wives he loved her dearly all the times he was you know always thinking about the fourth wife how to make her happy and he was willing to do all the things that would make her happy he would also loved his third wife you know he used to love his third wife he would do you know he would take her to different places for you know traveling and you know shopping and all that well he 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 will also take good care of third wife and love her dearly he also lo- loved his second wife and actually whenever he has some problems in life he would always consult his second wife not the third and fourth you know mm-hmm. and he never cared about the first wife the first wife was always there but he never even noticed he was just fully engrossed and concerned about mostly the fourth wife then the third and a little bit for second wife so now the king was growing old and he thought and realized that he he would not longer gonna live for a long time and he would eventually die but he didn't want to go alone to the next life so he thought i have loved my wife so much and especially the fourth wife maybe i'll ask and you know maybe she'll join me in my next life and go along with me when i die so he approached her and asked her that oh dear i think i'm going to die soon and i really love you so much and i think that i can't live without you even in my next life would you also consider going along with me to the next life when i die and she would simply refused she said no 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 thank you very much for all the love that you have given me but when you'll die the moment you'll die very soon then i'll disappear i will disappear and he was devastated oh my god what happened i really loved all my life so much and she saying she will dis- disappear now he turned towards the third wife and the same question he was like how the response was the moment you will die i'll marry someone else <laughs> my god <laughs> just imagine <laughs> he said all the time i used to love and care for her and she is like so you know saying that i would marry the moment he would die now he turns toward the second he still had some hope so the second wife was a little kind and you know she said that well i really love you but you know maybe i'll just take part in your funeral and that's it and then i'm busy in my life other life now he was totally devastated he was so disappointed and he was full of regret that i don't know what to do he didn't even think of the first wife even that moment he thought if all of them you know 
rejected my proposal or you know didn't really you know, didn't want to come along but first wife was listening and she was witnessing all that so she herself approached the king i said oh king do not worry i will be there for you i will always be there for you this life next life or any life now he was very shocked and his mind was all thinking he was full of remorse what do you the wife that loved so much loves me so much that she is willing to you know do whatever it takes not in this life next life any lives any number of lives so who are these four wives we all have four wives we all have four wives you know and the fourth wife is our body we all love our body so much all the time we are thinking about our body you know how to make it happy how to keep it you know in a good condition our body and mind actually this is our fourth wife third wife is our belongings whatever the possessions we have you know we really care love about my car my house my phone <laughs> my this you know we love those things and the second wife is our family and friends so whenever we have some issues some problems we are you know stressed distressed and we need something we always go to our second wife our family and friends and the first wife is our atman hmm the so called soul in modern world that is always there but we never care for that wife although it's always there always there so yoga is a journey if a man's journey to the first wife lovely you know yoga you know, is a so but here's the interesting thing for me in my own life as well as anyone else i know why is it so hard for us to take care of our atman why is it so hard for us it's like when someone says you know i know meditation's really great as a practice and really good for me but i can you know i don't think i have enough time i don't think i like, what is it is it that the lower realms of our life the material and uh, that they just have such an attraction and magne- magnetism to them that we we can't take care of the things that truly matter why don't we take care of the things that truly matter because the two things because of uh it is very well explained in uh, our upanishads and also bhagavad gita that because of uh, kama kama is the our um, desires and lobha the greed the desire and greed rules our life and when we have this karma and desire ruling our life we cannot see the reality as it is we have our own perception of life of happiness of success everything is blinded by our karma and our desire and greed so unless we take care of this we understand that this karma and desire this desire and greed will never let us see the reality and unless we see the reality unless we have the right perception of happiness we will never take care of the soul we will always you know 
usually if you see in bhagavad gita it is very well explained that in generally what happened to people the thing material progress as success in life if we have more right. money more power then you feel you are more successful whereas there, sorry i just you talk about desire and greed and i feel that for a lot of people even trying to face that would bring them into a place of of thinking less of themselves and sometimes i think i'm trying to be more charitable by thinking that we're afraid we're afraid of scarcity that we will not have enough we're afraid because it's a human instinct so, you know sugar salt fat the things we eat because we're afraid we're going to starve uh and that that fear requires a certain amount of spiritual courage see talking about fear let's then i will go a little more in detail i'm sorry for everything i have to go in a very spiritual level of detail you know because in all the animals if you see what is common is ahar nidra bhay maithun these four aspects ahar is food bhay is ahar nidra nidra is sleep bhay is fear and maithun is sex this is common to all species all animals only humans have the opportunity to go beyond this and do new things but because we are again so much obsessed with our desire and greed that we don't go beyond that and even if you go beyond that to to do new things we do new things to even please these four things though we don't want to go beyond that you know this human opportunity human life is an opportunity to do go to do new things and go beyond this so the right access to right knowledge is the the first thing now why this happening a lot of people are you know because they do not have the access to the right knowledge or they are so much involved in their day to day mundane activity that they do not want to go beyond that perhaps you know in our tradition fortunately if you say the indian tradition indian culture indian religion we have this you know we do not have to do anything it is being transferred from generations from you know the family to family from parents to children from guru to disciple like that and even a lot of our literatures are based on that you know that how but, yeah but still we you know in in your country as in ours many of us fail at this journey we 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 don't you know the 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 turning each other into a commodity and 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 not seeing the the god within each other but instead seeing the utility of of someone to us what use is that person to me will they help me advance my career uh, can i take advantage of this person who's selling me something because i'm afraid i don't have enough money as it is and if i can he's weaker than i am or she's weaker than i am and i can take something from them there's so many 
different parts of desire and greed that still infect our lives. So the meditative practices that, that, that are part of your tradition, part of every spiritual tradition, we have made them into something different. We've, we've made them into science in North America. We don't speak about meditation anymore. We speak about mindfulness. And we have neuroscientists who can prove to us that it's efficient to meditate or to be mindful. Um, are we just watering things down here? Should we be just not looking for scientific proof that things work, but instead having some level of faith? See, uh, I, 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 this word mindful, you know, mindfulness itself, you know, to me, um, uh, I have a very different opinion about these things, about the, you know, it's the, like for the word yoga. Now, there's no yoga without mindfulness. You have to be absolutely aware, absolutely mindful. Then only yoga can happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have your own body and you're describing that I am just this I. You're selling your eye as a different you. You're selling your hand as a different you. You're selling your legs as a different you. Yoga itself completes all. When it comes to mindfulness, I'm saying. Now, meditation, let me also be very clear. Meditation, even spirituality, is a modern word. There is no, nothing called meditation in Indian tradition. Nothing called meditation. Meditation Mm. is a very modern English word. There is no relevance of meditation. We have called, we have dharana, dhyana, samadhi. No? What do those mean in English? Exactly. There's no concept of that in English. So it's roughly it is translated as meditation. Dharana is concentration. Dhyana is meditation. But Dhyana is not a meditation. See, also it's very uh, something I am going to ex- uh, explain you a little bit. Maybe very interesting for you also. I totally disagree with this statement itself that I am doing meditation or please do meditation. You cannot do meditation. Meditation is not something that you practice. Just like saying that I am practicing sleeping. Can you do that? You reach that stage. You eventually, something leads you to that stage. So meditation, dhyana is a state you reach there. You can't practice that. The way you can't practice sleeping, you can't practice meditation. You can practice dharana. You can try to practice concentration. No, and so, going, okay. What's the third part? The going deep into concentration, deep, 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 deep. Eventually, it leads you to dhyana, state of you know, absolute silence. Absolute silence. So, but if I come to the retreat mm-hmm. uh, at six in the morning, I have to be at the. I have to be sitting. Yes, guided meditation. Right. It. So we we still. It, See, part of what worries me is we, you know, we, the North American, the Western civilization people show up at your retreat and it's almost like we're looking for fast food. It's like just, you know, I got a week. Let's see if I can reach Nirvana, you know? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So, I mean, it would be hard for me if I, I I don't know, I'm I'm not going to speak for you, but if it was me, I'd be thinking, now, come on, you're coming here for a hit. And then you're going home and within four weeks, it'll wear off. So how do we find a sustainable way 
to marry Eastern and Western ways together. Because I'd imagine a lot of the people who come to you really, I, I, I once did a TV show where I had people who were just spiritually seeking. And we took them to all these different spiritual experiences in North America on the mm-hmm. show. And I realized after a while that they were all waiting. Well, most of them of the five people, four of them were waiting for lightning to hit them. Mm-hmm. That they would just be changed. They'd have an epiphany. It would all happen. Yeah. And if somebody comes to a retreat center in India for two weeks, unless they're constantly doing this at home, they're probably hoping for the same thing. Are they not? Yeah, they do. But you know what? What we do is that, like, for example, when you buy a, a latest gadget, you know, a, 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 a phone or a TV or a laptop, it comes with, a, a, you know, what do you call it? The, um, the description and uh, what do you call it? Uh, the directions? The, the, no, it comes with uh, instructions. Instructions, yes. What do you call the instructions menus are called like yes, yeah, so, uh, 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 operate manual. It's a manual. Manual. Yeah. manual, yes, operating manual. It comes with operating manual. So if anything goes wrong, you can consult the manual. So what we provide in one week is the manual for how to live a spiritual life. So it is a manual. You you cannot learn everything. You can't attend moksha in one week, but you will have a manual. You can always go back and you know open the manual. Okay, what is I am supposed to do? What spirituality says? We refer to many books also. You know, that's part of the manual. Right. And so also we provide a lot of information. So you're giving them a scaffolding to, that they can build on. Let me ask yes. you this thing. We have a prime minister who came to India at one point, uh, Justin Trudeau, him yes. and family, and they... Um, they got all dressed up in Indian garb, and it, it really, back here in Canada, was became an object of ridicule for a lot of people. <laughs> what what, yeah, what was okay. your impression when you saw our, our Prime Minister doing that? Well, I, I have not actually, uh, frankly speaking, I have seen that, but uh, I, see, I uh, ex- accept everything in a positive way. I, I can't comment much because I don't know much uh, details about that. But if anybody is doing, if anybody is by that, you know, although of course many people they do not have much idea about you know our culture or tradition or anything, but still in one way they are trying to do that, it's fine. I, I mean I I can't say that this is something to be ridiculed or laughed at. Showing or, a sign of respect. To me, yes, care. I would I I would accept this as yes. That at least somebody is uh, showing uh, not only is like sign of respect, but kind of association. That okay, yes, I appreciate this, and you know, yeah, I accept uh, this uh, your culture, and I would I'm willing to do something like whatever little I can, or even wearing a dress. Right. Oh, why not? Why not? Why not? Why of not? course, if somebody is talking, uh, wearing this dress, and and unnecessarily talking about something that he's not aware of that definitely will go against that person that you know it's not really a good idea to talk about something that you do not know but just wearing clothes is a good symbol i will uh, always uh, say that it is a good thing why not so when you <clears throat> on your own personal path of spirituality where where would you say you are right now 
i am always a student i will always be a student so i am just learning every day day and every day is a new you know chapter opening up more deeper meanings are revealed to me and at the same time i am trying to share whatever information whatever knowledge whatever practices you know i acquire i comes to me i just i try to share with others i am personally getting benefited so it's by it's like experiential knowledge is there it's not like the knowledge a the theoretical knowledge is there whatever i learned i also you know get benefited by practicing and you know, following on those paths so and yoga is that only that you need to share first you must master what you learn and then definitely you share as i said i will always feel that i will, i i always say i am student of the vedic knowledge everything comes from there you know right. yoga is also part of that so i am so more into the vedic knowledge yeah talk to me a bit about because my pronunciation of it would be ayurvedic um but i i, I certainly knew that there uh, brushed up gently against the idea of ayurvedic medicine um but it seemed to be based on certain kind of you know there's fire like it just for an an ignorant like me what would you say if i said what's ayurvedic what's that mean no well, uh, sorry but i did not say ayurveda i said veda yes i know but i just realized that part of what you do at the retreat center yes is ayurveda also see see ayurveda itself the the veda first of all please understand veda so veda the root word is vid vid means you know to know and veda means knowledge right so ayur means life so ayurveda means the knowledge of life so it is very vast very deep you know it is a lot of people misunderstand when they heard ayurveda they will think okay it's all about uh, medicine some, some massage and some medicines and that's it but it's so deeper it's called the science of life and if you go back to the ancient times ayurveda was you know so advanced that we used to do even surgeries with that you know mm. a lot of surgeries are mentioned in our traditional books of ayurveda that it was highly advanced and actually during uh, but you know india has been invaded by uh, you know people from different parts of the world over 1200 years you know india has been under foreign rule from all us so far even it mughals the persian the afghans the english the french the you know the portuguese everyone came and ruled some part other part of india so now during that time ayurveda was not promoted at all actually everybody tried to bring their own practices and systems and especially during british time actually ayurveda was completely banned hmm. and they burnt a lot of literatures a lot of practitioners were put behind bars you know so after india got independence now a lot of uh, research is happening in the field of ayurveda and now they are doing a lot of research and it's uh, now we have a ministry also in 1900 in 2000 14 or 15 a new ministry was introduced in india for um, it's called ayush so it's for ayurveda all the you know original uh, uh, origin 
Indian traditional systems, how to protect, preserve, protect, and do a lot of research and promote. So this was a wonderful that happens. A lot of research is happening. We are working on the cancer patients, also people suffering from you know stress, cancer, other different types of diseases. You know the modern stress-related diseases also, and it is. Uh, I mean, compared to this uh, modern medication and Ayurveda results are far better, but still we are not able to showcase to this world. It will take some little more time because the research data is very small. So unless it is big enough so that we can go out in the world, because the modern world demands data, and that's nothing wrong in that. It should be like that. So, but I I'm very hopeful that you know. Although we are not getting any support from any part of the world, like, uh, whether it's any developed countries, they will they have never accepted Ayurveda. They have never tried to fund Ayurvedic research or do anything for that. Well, you're up against the big pharmaceutical companies who really probably have very <laughs> little interest in having something that's not under their patents um, be successful. If you were going to explain I, I, Ayurveda. Uh, as like the, what is the fundamental um, principle behind it? Because you know, for instance, in homeopathy, you treat like with like. In allopathy, which is mostly what we do here, you don't. You you find the thing that, that suppresses the sy symptom or kills the the, the disease. W what is the Ayurvedic approach to well, uh, to that? I am not an expert of Ayurveda, but whatever little knowledge I have, I can share that Ayurveda is principle is based on. We all have like you know, three. Um, we call it uh, dosha. It's like we all are made of uh, elements. Uh, yeah, three bio elements. You can say you know. Right. It's like. So what the pitta kapha? There are three different aspects that is very very integral and important aspect of Ayurveda. So the in, any imbalance in all these three elements create problems in our body and mind. So the the principle of Ayurveda is to have harmony among these three elements: vata, pitta, and kapha. Roughly, we translate it as you know air, fire, and water. But it is not the correct translation, you know. This is much more than that. One important part of, besides this, the other very significant and important aspect of Ayurveda is ahara. Ahara is called food. Food is the most important. See, first of all, you have to understand Ayurveda is about prevention. Cure is also there, but it says prevention is better than cure. So adopt. A lifestyle, such lifestyle that you do not have to see a doctor. So right. that's why definitely the pharmaceuticals will always be against that. Yeah, show so, the doctors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, so in the food way, so in food, a lot of people are really you know focused about and concerned about food. This is good, but you know if you see them, if you meet the dietitians and everyone. In today's modern world, what is the most important uh, aspect of food? Even if we ask you, what you will reply? What is the most important aspect of food? When you eat food, what is the most important thing you look for? Energy. Yes. Um, nutrition. 
Yeah, so basically, nutrition. It comes from energy comes through nutrition. So yes, most of us will go for nutrition. Ayurveda doesn't go for that. It says the most important aspect of food is it should be easy, easy to be digested, easily you know digested. Right. So digestion aspect is the first primary part of Ayurveda. So that is why Ayurveda never say to be vegetarian, but because of our this. We vegetarian being vegetarian is better for us because first aspect is the food should be easy to be easy to digest. So it takes very very long time, three to seven times more for a non-vegetarian food to be digested than a vegetarian well-cooked food. Right. No. And then second aspect is nutrition, and then third aspect is why not make it delicious too. So interesting. So so yeah. different than what we're doing, and uh, we are, as a society, um, quite unhealthy. Yes. Uh, in so, so, in the, so many ways. And every food should be freshly cooked food. You know, you should never use anything that is you know using preservatives. That right. Is absolutely no no. You should never uh, eat uh, the leftover foods next day. That is what we do. Keep everything in the fridge for a week or two weeks or everything, you know. Yeah. Keep it the next day. This is not good food, not uh, good for our body. This I'm going to look, more, I'm gonna look more into this because I, years ago I, I I had one session, Ayurvedic session with someone and I, I was like 20. So I wasn't paying attention. And I thought, oh yeah, that sounds great, and I never did a thing about it. But now I'm an old man, so I'll I'll, I'll go and take a look. You know, they say that uh, I I've been told that in the Hindu tradition, for instance, the uh, there's that whole period of your life where you're a householder, mm-hmm. and you and you create family. But then there's the forest dweller part of your life where contemplation, and reflection, and wisdom are are, are the pieces you look for. So. Um, I'd like to think I've I've entered more of that. You know, one of the things I thought about with with when you're the person who people come to, they come to Swan and they're they're looking to you and they're looking to the teachers, is there's there's this thing of the always having to be good, always having to be right, having people watching how you do things to say, well, is that what I want to do? Because he just seemed to get really angry at that person. I thought he was supposed to be the guy who has his uh, stuff together. Um, that pressure to be good, to, to be the light and not the darkness, does that ever weigh on you? See, uh, if you're talking personally about me or Swan, you. Also, yes, we also live here, you know, I live here. It's my, so whatever I am doing, as I said, what I learn, I share. And Fortunately, most of the people come, as I told you, with very open heart and we have a very healthy discussion and with logic and reasoning, they understand, appreciate and accept it. No? So it actually, for me, I don't feel I'm working or doing something. It's like I'm living my life here. You know? Right. So it's, you know, there's no work for me. So I don't have to do any extra thing or, you know, or... Something to make somebody convinced. But what do you do with the darker feelings that any human being has? How do you cope with that? How do you cope with what? Sorry. Darker feelings. 
darker feelings. <laughs> yes, angers, jealousies, resentments. Do you not have them? Uh, you see, we all have that. Right. Yoga, we, we all have that, but yoga is a way to minimize it slowly and slowly, gradually. And first of all, see, when people come here, most of them, they come as a guest and, you know, almost all go as a friend and a family. Mm, we, become so close. we become so close because it's not about just the classroom. Yoga is not happening on the mat in the classroom. It's happening when we are talking, we are having the same food, we are eating the same food at the same time. We are having conversation about life, about, you know, the issues. And the exchange of ideas and words and, you know, the, the, the spirituality, this makes us become so close to each other that, you know, people don't even feel that they are visiting some place as just as a, you know, yoga guest or, you know, a client right. or something. They're not, they're not just a customer. How do people get in touch with you? Or what's the web, what's the website that they can go to? Well, uh, the website is uh, www.swan.goa.com. So swan-yoga.goa. No, swan-yoga-goa.com. Dot com. Shivandra, I want to thank you for spending some time with me. I really appreciate uh, that, you, that you're doing this. Um, are you coming to Canada anytime soon? Yeah, I'm not sure now. Let's see. Yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> uh, pandemic get over and then... Uh, but before, you know, I just want to say something about, uh, nicely I can want to explain the yoga, what yoga, the, what, how people think and how I explain them. Like at Swan, we have this buffet, you know, of course, it's Ayurvedic vegetarian food here. And in that one aspect is salad. Now, salad is good for health, is very important part of our life. So a lot of people who come from West, so I explain to them, like, you know, if you go every day, at Swan uh, um, buffet time, in the brunch time, and you eat just salad every day. Each day you go, just eat salad. You can't say you eat the buffet. You can say, I can only eat the salad. Now, salad is important, but it's not giving you the, all the important ingredients that is required for your overall survival and development of the body and mind. So similarly, when you are doing every day the physical aspect of yoga, and you are thinking that I'm doing yoga, I'm going, no, you are just eating the salad. Yoga is so much more. You are just focusing on the physical aspect of it. Another way to put it, I say that just imagine that if God appears in front of you and say that, okay, I'll grant you one boon, ask whatever you want. And then you are thinking, 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 oh, what to, okay, please God, give me a new MacBook, a new iPhone. That's it. <laughs> he says, I give you everything, whatever you want. So this is yoga. Yoga is there to give you whatever is needed, not what you want, but whatever is needed to make you a very stable, happy person in life, in complete harmony within your body, mind, emotion, nature around also. It is a complete science. 
So please make use of that complete science to live in harmony and in totality with yourself, with people around you, with the nature around you. That's the beauty of yoga. Don't restrict yourself, limit yourself, just learning the, the physical aspect of it. No? Mm -hmm. This is the beauty of yoga. Beautiful. So when I say hello, I say namaste. When I say goodbye, do I say namaste? See, yes. We can't, but in our tradition, we say Hari Om. Hari Om. Hari Om. We say start Hari Om and end with Hari Om. Beautiful. Well, Shivandra, Hari Om. Hari Om. Hari Om. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. Very nice talking to you. Very nice and, learning and I from you. See you soon again. That would be nice. Maybe I'll go there since I've never been. <laughs> Welcome. And to Mike too. Oh, we got to bring Mike. Yeah. He needs it. <laughs> All right. Take care of yourself. Shivandra Kumar. Uh, Swan Yoga Retreat is where he lives in India. And uh, many people go. Goa, as I said at the beginning, is often thought of as the party center for a lot of Westerners. But it's also a spiritual center, and uh, he is one of the people who makes it that way. Lots to think about in there. Ayurvedic medicine uh, and Ayurvedic way of life is very interesting. Yoga as a philosophy, not as a physical practice, even though there is a physical practice involved. But we seem to have caught the wrong end of the, of the tiger. We're, we're, uh, we're running around holding on to the tail, making sure we got the right little lemon pants on. When, uh, when you listen to what Shivandra said, there's so much more to explore in the Vedas and in the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita and all of the rest of it. Um, so I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. Um, we will, I think next week we're doing Hoxley Workman. Is that right? That's the plan, Stan. See, he listens to the whole hour and the plan stands. <laughs> I thank Mike for helping me out as he always does. I thank you for listening. Uh, spread the word, uh, at Ralph Ben Murgi on Twitter. Uh, Not That Kind of Rabbi is the name of this podcast. You can see our Facebook page, and uh, I'll, I'll try to be better about posting these days. I've been running around a bit like a chicken with all these kids and all this pandemia. So take care of each other, and we'll see you soon on Not That Kind of Rabbi.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.